When I was a dashing young blade, a business consultant was someone who borrowed your watch to tell you the time. However, those days are long gone. Mentoring is an area that has received immense scrutiny and attention over the last few years. But finding good, experienced, well-connected mentors isn't easy. In fact, our next guest, Kevin R. Smith, the founder and CEO of Booman Partners and author of the book, Start Up to Scale Up, has run his own business and finance consultancy firm for 26 years. With a long and varied career in business and finance, he has become increasingly aware of the great number of early stage and mid-sized businesses that have a great story but are missing some vital parts of the jigsaw to make them achieve their true potential. If you want to know more about Kevin and how he can help your business, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film and a favourite single or album and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the City of London. Real people, real business, real talk. Hello Kevin and welcome to the Cashflow Show in association with PRMS Limited. Hello, thank you for having me today. Thank you. It's going to be a very interesting interview for me because it gives it a background and context to an area that we often talk about in business, which is the making the transition from starting up to scaling up. It's always good to start at the beginning. So tell us a little bit about who you are and about your business. Uh, well, I started working uh, as a credit analyst, working for banks in the city of London, jumped from that into business development for those same banks, started to work uh, overseas a lot. And then way back in 1996, a lifetime ago, I decided that I had basically got fed up with, with other people telling me what to do and decided to uh, set up by myself and so set up a, a business uh, consultancy and that focused on a number of different issues but primarily on working with early stage businesses and, and helping them to to scale and then uh, if we scroll through the years i spent two years seconded to the british government uh, working with trying to develop the uh, the financial service sector and the sme sector in the first eight countries from central europe that joined the eu uh, and I travelled around with the Lord Mayor of London and did lots of good things, so interesting times. And about seven or so years ago, for no apparent reason, I chose to do a master's degree in global management, but did the dissertation, again, at my choice, uh, on uh, looking at how micro and SME businesses uh, obtain access to finance. And many of the answers to that were actually in tech and fintech. So that led me down, down that route. And I followed that up then with a, a course at, at Oxford University, side business school, uh, looking specifically at, at fintech and have been quite involved in, in that uh, ever since. 
So I guess you could say the two areas that we have something of a focus on are tech and fintech and also women in business. Although we're totally sort of sector agnostic and we don't tend to shout, shout too much about those two sectors because we, uh, as I say, we, we really do work with, with businesses across the board. Um, and after those uh, events, I became a mentor for the UK's largest entrepreneur accelerator. So both a general mentor and a, a, a fintech mentor, and also a mentor for Prince's Trust and a mentor and guest lecturer for Bayes Business School, which was uh, until recently called Cass Business School and is part of City of London University. So one way or another, we, uh, I, get to see businesses in all different sort of shapes and forms coming at me from all sorts of different directions. I've also been writing a lot of uh, published uh, articles, chapters in books, five books now, uh, and that all started way back in 1994 um, and speak at quite a lot of events and sit on panels and judge pitching events and, and all sorts of things. So one way or another, as I say, lot, lots of interesting businesses come across well, on, on my view. And um, I, I'm all, I just love seeing all these different great people coming up with, with great ideas and I seem to have become a bit addicted, I think, to, to try to help them to achieve their goals. <laughs> whether, whether that's formally in, in a sort of commercial capacity with, with Boom and Partners or as a mentor or simply as sort of trying to help them and point them in the right direction. It, it's, it's maybe that, that little bit of me giving something back and feeling that I might be doing some good in the world, maybe. <laughs> well, no, I think that's a very positive thing. In the business world, it always seemed to be that so many people just want to take yeah, and so therefore, the idea of giving back and helping other businesses, it always seems, and the impression that, say, media always gives in terms of business is it's this double-crossing, backstabbing world and nobody wants to help everybody and I've struggled to get to the top by myself, so there is no way I'm going to basically create an environment where somebody else is successful. So it's nice to see that trend being, um, being rocked, being changed, for want of a better expression. Well, I, I always go out of my way um, to, to tell people to do the right thing for the right reasons. And, you know, it might just come back and, and be beneficial. But certainly if you do the, the wrong thing, um, I'm a great believer that that will come back and, and bite you at some stage in the future. So karma, uh, yeah. you know, as I say, do, do the right things. Everybody's happier. Um, and it, it just has to be beneficial is, is my view of life. And, and I very much believe in building long-term relationships. So never after a, a sort of a, a, a quick, um, I don't know, grabbing of, of uh, an advantage, but very much more sow a little seed, do, do a favour and, you know, who, who knows uh, where, where that might lead in the future, either directly or indirectly. Yes, I think that's one of the problems that I, I have. I've got certain issues in terms of that. There are too many people who are out for short-term gain. And maybe that's my personal philosophy and that I think that the longer... It's nice to be able to see people in longer-term relationships and seeing people that you met two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, and they're still around. You know, that, to me, is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm sure it must reflect on, on your thinking as well. Obviously, when you mentor somebody and you provide that level of support, you, you don't do it for the sake of doing it. You, you're doing it because you want to see them flourish. Yeah, and, and even when it comes to the absolute sort of commercial side of the business, we're doing the same thing. We're trying to help them build and grow and uh, become successful uh, in the longer term. We, we're not just after doing a small piece of work and, and waving them goodbye into the sunset and, and wishing them well. We very much sort of want to hold their hand on that journey. So I was fortunate enough to be at a talk and an event held um, by the City Business Library and a big shout out to everyone at the City Business Library because it's a great resource and if you are based in the UK, based in London, there is a great resource there for businesses. So I'm doing a little advert there while in passing. Um, and one of the things that I found at your talk were you gave some figures and I don't know if you remember them off the top of your head, but the longevity for businesses was really sort of quite bleak in terms of how many business businesses started, how many businesses folded over one year, five year, 10 year periods. Do you remember any of those figures? Well, the, the, the numbers are quite bleak, but I think you have to be a, a little cautious just by looking at the numbers as ever, in that uh, if, if you look simply at how many businesses, new businesses are registered on an annual basis, and you look at how many businesses are closed down, uh, it's easy to say, and, and indeed how many are closed down within one, two, three years. It's easy to say that those businesses have failed, but it's not, that, that's not really a, a correct interpretation, I don't feel, because quite a number of businesses are set up and nothing is ever done with them so they haven't failed they just hadn't started they were sort of set up dormant businesses shut down again ah right um, so, so i don't think you you can just look boldly at, at those numbers and say you know th this number of businesses failed so so that that's one sort of proviso um but it it, it is still quite bleak yeah um if if you look at those bold numbers, um, 50 to 60% of businesses fail within three years and 20% within the first 12 months. But as I say, like any statistics, treat those numbers with a, with a little degree of caution because qu quite what the definition of fail is, I'm not certain, just looking at those numbers. And and also you must remember that failure might just mean you've, you've given something a go, um, you're still in a job, it's a side hustle, it doesn't quite work out, so you stop it. But other of those, those failures can be catastrophic. You know, you, you can have mortgaged the house, you can have left your job, you can have taken huge gamble and then it not work out. And the ramifications of that is is really quite uh, quite different to those that fail in a, in a sort of a smaller, more more gentle way. Also, it, it's worth I think taking a look at the at the reasons. If you look into the reason for why businesses fail, typically it is because they haven't investigated their market properly. They haven't done the the, the proper research into what it is they think they're going to do. And that sort of is an integral part of they have then failed to produce a, a proper business plan with realistic assumptions. 
it's all too easy for for founders to get carried away and thinking hey this is going to be fantastic and everybody will want this and i'll sell five million of them and blah blah and it's <laughs> again it's, it's just not how life is uh you know there's no getting away again from the fact that setting up your own business and scaling is tough uh hey it, it's great fun but you know it isn't going to be easy for the vast majority of, of people so you need to be realistic and you need to make sure that actually what you're trying to do people do want so that takes research and and producing a, a proper business plan and then of course the, the other obvious thing is is not enough funding but that's that's a whole topic in itself <laughs> well because one of the interesting things i remember seeing a, a brief quote from charlie mullins who obviously made his mm-hmm. money with a company called pimlico plumbers and pimlico plumbers for those people outside of the uk is a company which provides plumbing uh, electrical and other household services which started off very very small and basically scaled till it was sold for uh, quite a sizable amount of money and Mr Mullins is now relaxing in Spain somewhere which is fantastic but one of the things that I noticed that he said that most businesses fail because they run out of money would that be would that be a correct assumption absolutely forget turnover forget profit even it's cash if you don't have cash to meet bills as they become due that is when you will fail. Big companies go bust because they simply don't have uh, the, the the immediate financial resources. So, as I say, with with so there's there's a phrase that um, turnover is uh, vanity, profit is sanity. But I always like to add a, the third part of that, which is uh, cash is reality. Because yes. without cash or, or cash equivalents that you can actually pay the bills. It doesn't matter if you're turning over 100 million. It doesn't matter if, in theory, you're you're making 25 million. If you haven't got cash to, to pay the bills when they're due, then the, the whole pack of cards comes down. So I totally agree. You talked earlier about founders and startups. There is a typical type of personality that gets themselves involved in entrepreneurship. Would you be able to describe those characteristics? Absolutely. I think, well, first of all, you need to have a quite a degree of, of self-belief, absolute sort of get up and go again, as, as I've already said a few times, it's not that easy. So you need to uh, be prepared to work hard and long, uh, certainly to, to begin with. But if you look at the, the, the traits, they're actually quite similar to sportsmen. Uh, certainly top sportsmen, in that if you if you look at a sportsman, they don't expect to to get to be the top tennis player, runner, Formula One driver, whatever it happens to be, as uh, as an individual. They do it by training hard and they do it by getting the right people around them. Trainers, coaches, business agents, all of the the sort of the, the circle around them to to direct their career and and help them make the right decisions at the right times, as well as having that belief in themselves and that determination, and the uh, the drive to to actually work hard and and to achieve and go through the down times and push out the other side and 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 keep pushing, and I think that. Whilst I was just describing a, a sportsman, you can see all of those characteristics in 
good founders and entrepreneurs, I think, in obviously a slightly different way, but, but the same broad characteristics are there. You have to have, so you, d you don't need trainers and coaches and things in the right way, but you do need advisors and an advisory board and accountants and lawyers and whatever it happens to be to make sure that you're doing things properly and you're building that foundation of course and then you absolutely will be be working sort of hard long hours and it can be stressful looking at what decisions to make and when and of course that whole issue that we've just spoken about in terms of cash so i i would say that the closest similarity is is to a, a successful sportsman albeit you might hope that uh, a successful business person might actually have um, a rather longer time at the top than, uh, <laughs> than, a, <laughs> than a successful Olympic athlete that then goes off and has to do something else after, after they've been at the top for a few years. Yeah, but, uh, I, think, I think that's where your management team comes in because they, at that point, when you're coming towards the end of what is hoped to be a successful career, they're getting you those presenting jobs and the pundit jobs that basically yeah, um, uh, th that seem to occupy by um, um, the time of people who have been involved in sports. In business, of course, you can either sell that successful business and move on and do it all over again. And hey, this time you've got more experience and people believe you more. So all of those things that would make it easier. Or, of course, you just carry on in that business and life tends to get easier because you've, you've done the hard work at the outset, but you've got that longer tail as it were um, and you just carry on in that business until you go off and do a Charlie Mullins and decide that's that's it guys and uh, go off and relax somewhere. <laughs> Indeed a lot of people are thinking to themselves oh I've got an idea for a business and you know that story that or the old saying that goes everyone has a book inside them. Mm -hmm. I, I, I yep. get the impression that nowadays, because we've got so many influencers and people on television saying how successful they've been, and I've got a side hustle, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that everybody feels that they've got a business inside them. And my thing is, how do you know whether your business is just a crazy idea or, or if it really has legs? You know, the world has changed. Um, so exactly as you say, nowadays... If everybody has a business inside them. Everybody, it seems that, well, that I speak to, has a side hustle going of one size or another, <laughs> or indeed is thinking of doing something. And they've actually spoken to their employer, and the employer is happy for them to have that side hustle. Whereas if you go back to when I uh, worked for, for the banks, as I said originally, if I had gone to them and said, by the way, I fancy setting up a business that's going to be doing this, is that all right with you? They'd have laughed at me and said, you're paid to work here. So either work here or resign and go and do what you want. Of course. Um, so now so now employers are much, much more flexible. And the rule seems to be that as long as you do your job for us and what you're trying to do by yourself doesn't compete or in any way with, with what you're doing for us, then go and do what you like. And so that makes it so much easier for people to build that side hustle, see if it works gets that traction and then take that step over into it as opposed to uh, historically you used to have to make that decision to, to take that big jump from going from I've got a paid job into let's hope this works with, with a complete and utter startup and likewise it is so much easier to set up a business all aided with uh, the internet and everything else 
but it is so easy to set up a business and see if it works or get it to start to work than it ever used to be. Yes, I remember seeing an, um, what, was, what was it? It was a YouTube video with Jordan Peterson, who's not a necessarily a business person. Obviously, he's a, uh, I think he's a philosopher he's by trade, but he seems to be a person that gets asked a million and one different things completely unrelated to his principal role. But one of the things that he did say was that the system of having limited liability was an incredible position to be in because if you make a mistake and you try something and it doesn't work as long as you haven't been too foolish you can literally start again mm -hmm. I also saw another entrepreneur basically saying something very similar that people who have online businesses have a fantastic opportunity that you just throw something up if it doesn't work you take it down again and then throw something else up yep. again. so absolutely I never really looked at it like that previously, but I could actually see the sense because what happened in terms of companies, the bigger companies, let's say in the UK, like maybe John Lewis or Marks and Spencers or whatever, or Virgin or whoever it is, the process for trying new ideas is not is very slow. It's very convoluted, whereas the sort of leaner, and you've seen that process in your period of time in your mentorship, that leaner, more agile, more active business is seems to be what's really carrying the momentum these days. Absolutely. And and again, as you say, there are so many people that have set up a, a little business in their garage or in, in their bedroom, in their mum and dad's house or whatever it happens to be. And, and it just explodes. And whilst to some extent that's always been possible, using the internet and the profile that that can bring you and getting orders in over the internet fulfilling it from your garage or your bedroom or whatever it happens to be depending on the product is again it's just so much easier um i, I come across companies all the time but but one one comes to mind just at the moment that they were a startup very limited turnover and they'd already sold to 18 countries Wow. Uh, literally around the world purely because of the internet yeah um and, and that absolutely wasn't possible historically because of of the costs and the difficulties and how would you get a profile uh etc etc so it, it has totally transformed and i think one thing that we are so lucky in the uk that people don't necessarily understand the World Bank produces a report every year called D Doing Business In uh, Report. And it looks at, I think it's about 170 or 180 countries around the world. We are always in about the top 10 countries around the world to set up and run a business. And you can literally phone uh, or, or online and 15 minutes later with a credit card, there you are, you've got a limited business. It yes. is so easy. And people don't appreciate that in some countries it takes six months to set up a business. Of course, without that, this is the problem. I think, you know, I always use this as an example, and I've used it here on the Cashflow Show many times. The example that you wake up in the morning, you've had a dream the night before, and you've woken up in the morning and your destiny is to sell, you know, chicken nuggets or whatever it is. And you then wake up in the morning, you think, right, I'm going to start a company called Clayton's Chicken Nuggets. 
and you can just be in your pyjamas and basically get on, open up your laptop and you can get a, a website, you can get a domain name, you can get, uh, with your credit card, you can get your, your business set up at company's house, you can get an accounting package, you can get uh, everything before lunchtime. You, you know, even Absolutely. before you before you've had elevenses, you know, you, all of this stuff can be done, and you've got a business. Boom, done. It's amazing, <laughs> and I didn't actually mean that as a pun, as in, as in boom and partners, but it it, it 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 literally is done like that. It's it's amazing. Absolutely, but what I would say is, come back to the biggest reasons that businesses fail in not investigating the markets properly and not thinking it through and, and writing a, a proper business plan and realistic assumptions, etc. Because unless you do that, you're going to be shooting off in the wrong direction. And, and it's fine if you shoot off in the wrong direction, but you have to accept that, ah, okay, so this isn't going to work. And Oh, a year or so ago, I wrote uh, an, an article for Sifted, which is part of the Financial Times, and they asked me to make it sort of controversial, thought-provoking. <clears throat> and so I entitled it... Um, Why are many founders... Fantasists, there you go. Um, and, and one of the big reasons that founders are fantasists is because they have this it's-my-baby syndrome. And by that, I mean that it's... They, they get too obsessed with their idea is perfect. They might have 10 people tell them, oh, well, it won't work because, and that reason might even be the same reason, but so many of them still will not listen because, oh, no, it's perfect. So what I would say is whatever your flash of inspiration in the middle of the night and whether you set up a business or not, again, I, I have to repeat, you come back, make sure you investigate that there is proper demand for the product or service that you think at the price that you can deliver it at make sure you do the research and make sure that if people are telling you well it would be better like this that that you listen to them accept the fact that yes you might have it broadly right but you know what other people might actually be able to help you improve that product or service and that's interesting and the reason why i i look at it slightly differently and come to the same conclusion is because when we look at business media it gives us these figures of people Sadly, it's usually men who are completely focused, as you say, on their own vision. And they are so dogged and, you know, say, you know, Steve Jobs did this and he didn't listen to anybody else and blah, de, blah, de, blah. And look at that. And, you know, Apple's this big company or Alan Sugar didn't listen to anybody else. He's probably going to ring me up now and give me grief and on Twitter or something. Um, <laughs> you know. And the fact is, it's unfair to Alan Sugar, to be be honest with you, because he does actually says, I listen to everybody, but I make up my own mind. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are, ta are taught that being a strong, you know, decisive CEO and leader is, you know, having the vision and following it through. But I also read somewhere that most people who are founders very rarely make good CEOs. Yeah, it, it, it's a very different space to have that vision um, and that drive to set up a business and then make, uh, as I say, continue to be at the top of that business as it grows and it's employing 50 people, 100 people, 5,000 people, whatever it happens to be, because it's a very different set of, of qualities, which is why you do see um, founders very interested in, in setting up a business, expanding it, 
quickly. The, the whole reason they, they set up is to expand quickly, sell out in five years, walk away with a chunk of money and do it all over again. Mm. And I've had discussions with people that say, but why would you do that? You've thrown so much of your life and passion into building that business. Why would you want to build it only to grow it and walk away from it? Um, but the reality is exactly as you've said, you're not the right person. You don't, you actually don't want to be controlling hundreds of staff and, and the logistics and everything else that a big business entails. You're, you're, you as a personality are focused on, um, that, that sort of, that, those earlier challenges and, and making something happen, creating something from nothing and then moving on and, and doing it again or, or just doing something totally different because you've made that much money, what, you know, whatever, whatever it happens to be. But I would agree that uh, often uh, that, that personality trait is different. And if you look at it the other way around, often you will find people that have been very successful in big businesses, try to start their own business. And they just don't get that there aren't hundreds of other people running around behind them, sweeping up, making things happen. They've actually got to do it themselves. Yeah. And again, that's a, that's a very different uh, scenario. So we've discussed founders and starting a business. What I want to talk about now is risk and pivoting. Because I think when I, as a person who's involved in late payment management and debt collection and debt recovery, I find risk to be an interesting topic and how... Mostly men again, I have to say this, guys, sorry, it's, <laughs> you might be offended, but mostly guys who seem to be, I, I've, I've had a few cases where a, a lady's come to me because her husband has basically signed documents in her name in order to basically approve a loan, which she knows nothing about. And then it gets to a stage where what happens is, is that obviously the bank or the building society or the lender want her out. But she's thinking, this has got nothing to do with me. And it causes breakups, it causes uh, family fallouts, all kinds of stuff. Is it because men tend to look at risk differently from women? Is that something that you found in the, in the mentoring that you've done? Yes. <laughs> that, 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 that was a short answer. I, I would say absolutely that women tend to have a different uh, approach. So... I would say generally they, and, and again, we can only ever talk in, a, in, in um, generalities. Of course. Generally, women, I would say, have a, a, a lower tolerance, uh, a, a lower desire to, to accept higher levels of risk. So the, it doesn't mean that they won't do what the, 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 the man might do. It means they would maybe think about it in more detail, do it in a different way, put in different safeguards, do it more slowly. So they may well be achieving the same things, but in a, in a probably a, a better thought out way rather than doing it in a perhaps a, a, a quicker, more sporadic, more ad hoc, whatever way. So I think I, I would totally agree with you. And even to the extent when you look uh, internationally, so the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development was one of the very first to look at micro loans in emerging economies, and they were selling, uh, they were lending literally twenty-five dollars to minute businesses in uh, emerging economies. Let's say to buy flowers for a flower stall, and. Uh, and then grow the business gradually from there. 
and they found very much that uh, lending to women was a far safer proposition than, than lending to men because the women took it as a much bigger responsibility uh, and were sort of, I guess, less prepared to fail um, than, than men. Um, so I would say there is there is definitely a, a personality uh, difference between the two sexes. The cash flow show, coming to you from the city of London, real people, real business, real talk. In the last couple of years, pivoting has been a situation that's come up. How important is it to be aware of pivoting your business? I think pivoting is uh, simply an extreme form of adapting and any business has to constantly be aware of its surroundings uh, whether it's competition or whether it's uh, the, the, the way that the, the views and and uh, products and services are are sort of trending around them what what's happening where the future opportunities might be um, and needs to adapt to take all of that into consideration so sometimes those events might be happening slowly. Other times they may be happening more quickly. And that means how quickly you need to adapt is, is either more slowly or more quickly. And then occasionally you come across with something much more seismic, like very obviously the, the pandemic and lockdown and everything else. And just adapting might not be sufficient. It may be that you need to totally uh, reinvent where you are and what you do and how you go about it in order to survive. Yes. Um, so I always uh, take the view that a business is, is like an aircraft. If it's not moving forward, it will fall out of the sky. And yes. that means you have to be adapting. If you're not moving forward, then effectively you're moving backwards because your competition will be moving forward. If, as I say, something bigger happens or either in, in the world in general or in your particular market or you come across a, a, a better opportunity, then it can be necessary or simply you can decide to pivot. And that is simply taking really a, a very different uh, role uh, forward. So uh, the, the biggest example that, that comes immediately to mind is Nokia. Yes. Uh, so Nokia uh, has been in forestry. It was one of the world's largest rubber producers, producing Wellington boots and car tyres and such things. It then became the world's best-known mobile phone producer and until it got it got caught out and didn't adapt quickly enough with uh, smartphones. And now everybody tends to think that Nokia's effectively disappeared, but it is actually behind pretty much every sat-nav that is built into pretty much every car. So they've, cha they've changed their technology yet again. And so they seem to be a company that, that is, uh, is very focused on, on pivoting. So totally different things. And that, that's quite a trick to pull off because you've got, what, totally different sectors, markets, experience. Uh, so, so adapting is easy. Pivoting is more difficult. But in, in certain times, it can be necessary. And certainly during lockdown, you saw everybody pretty much having to adapt in one way or another and others having to pivot. But what I would say with adapting is you come out after uh, lockdown and most of the businesses that had to pivot have decided that 
some of the things they had to do to survive actually worked pretty well. And so the better companies have now kept some of what they were doing pre-pandemic, kept some of what they were doing during pandemic, and they've actually now got the best of the two. And they're actually more successful than they ever would would have been if they hadn't had to uh, adapt big time or indeed pivot during that time. So again, getting forced into doing something isn't necessarily uh, a, a bad a, a bad situation. It just it just forces your hand to to make you think better and and how to go about doing something. Yes, very much so. One of the things I noticed on your website is you've got an area where you talk about doing pitch decks. Now, I've never used a pitch deck and up until now, I never had any need to use one, but I'm totally obsessed with them. I don't know what it is, what's (laughs) wrong with me. Maybe I just don't get out much, but you know, I'm totally obsessed with, and I I spend my time online looking at, at, um, uh, not not attractors, but at, at pitch decks. Um, uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's interesting for me is that why have certain pitch decks achieved such mythical status? You know, there isn't a perfect pitch deck. It depends what you're trying to do and who you're trying to do it with, what your product or service is, all those, you know, all those usual variables. But... Typically, a pitch deck would be used if you're trying to raise finance. And you need to bear certain things in mind. The best way to look at it is it is a a preview. It is a trailer for an upcoming blockbuster movie. You need to make people want to know more. And that's all the pitch deck is. It's not, it's going to be 15, 18 uh, slides, something like that. You haven't got much space. You're not going to be able to get too much information in it. All you're trying to do is to get somebody to think, wow, that looks an interesting company. I want to know more. So that that's the first part. And then you need to run through what is the problem? What is the solution? Why you are the people to provide that solution? Who are you? What is the team? You need an advisory board. If you're looking at raising finance, how much and what that money is going to be spent on and a brief summary of the financials, projections uh, more typically, turnover, gross profit, net profit, just just headline sort of numbers, and then obviously a, a contact page. But all of that needs to be put in a, in a visually, in a visual way, something that grabs your imagination. When I'm reviewing or working with businesses on pitch decks, the one thing I, I get fed up myself hearing is too wordy. Don't try and make it a, a written document. It is a visual document. Um, <laughs> I'm told that some of the big VCs will spend three seconds a slide looking at a pitch deck. It, and you need to grab their imagination. So it needs to be sort of uh, headlines and, and brief information and graphics and all of that sort of thing. So clearly, if you've caught their imagination with the headlines, then they're going to read the mm. little paragraph underneath it and they'll spend more than three seconds. But if you just put up a whole bunch of words, as you would expect to see in a business plan, it, they're just going to give up after a few pages and, and that's that's the end of it. So visually attractive, um, brief summary, it is purely trying to grab their imagination. 
but it needs it needs to be your your personality your business at the end of the day is about you as an individual and your personality needs to shine through because any investor investing in a early stage business it is very much about you as the founder or the founding team uh, because a good founder and founding team will be able to not quite turn any business into a good business but you might have the best business in the world but if you've got the wrong team behind it then it's never going to go anywhere anyway so it's really important to remember that it's your story and you've got to present it as such and your personality has got to shine through. And that's true, not just in the, in the, the, the written deck itself, but also if you're, if you're presenting that deck, whether virtually or, or live. So, so they're the, they're the sort of the, the real um, big things that, that I would say. And not too long as i said 15 to 18 pages is, is the sort of typical size and it doesn't have to be so that's so that's generally referred to as a pitch deck but you can have a product deck okay so you can have something that simply tells you about the the, the business rather than just raising finance but again make sure i've seen too many where you're on page eight and you still don't know what the <laughs> business does um so uh, so as I say, it, it runs through what's the problem, what's the solution, why our solution. And, and so they tend to run through in a certain sort of order, but you need to get across who are you and what are you doing? Because otherwise, again, I, I, it's too easy to, um, as I say, for, for the reader to, to lose interest too early and you, don't, you won't get a second chance. Now we're going to move on to the what are you like section where we ask you as a guest basically to to pick a favorite book, favorite business book, favorite album or single and favorite film in order to get an idea of what you like as an individual, what you are as a person, and just gives a people an insight into you as an individual. And so one of the things that we like to do is we send out a, a pre-show questionnaire, which um, uh, Kevin has been kind enough to fill in. And so I'm going to talk you through, Kevin, some of the choices. And I don't know if you remember them, but I've got a note here. So as damn as your favourite book, you had Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's quite a thick book. It's a novel, uh, and it's all based around building a a huge cathedral um, about well a thousand years ago, eight hundred years ago, as as the big cathedrals were built. But I think what what I liked so much about it was I learned so much. It was a novel. I read it to relax, but it was so historically well researched into the period in general, but also the building of the cathedral, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I, my favorite type of book is, is always that, ones that I, I relax and I also feel as though I've learned quite a lot. And typically for me, that's historically well-researched novels. And so I, I guess that's why that one stands Excellent. out for me. And it, it's, I guess also it's sort of I would not have sat down and read a book as, as interested as I am in architecture and particularly history. I would not have sat down and read a book about how, how you went about <laughs> building a cathedral 800 years ago because it just wouldn't happen. But I did learn, as I said, an awful lot about how you yeah, built a cathedral exactly. 800 years ago. And 
So it, it was sort of tackling a, a, a difficult subject, as it were, but in an, an easy way to read sort of approach. And that's how I, I, I hadn't sort of quite realised until I decided that that sort of book was, was my favourite. But I then started to draw parallels about what people say to me when I write. Mm. So the reason the book came about was because I've written hundreds of published articles and chapters in books, etc., etc. And I was getting a growing number of people saying to me, love what you write. You always write about potentially difficult topics, but in an easy to understand way. But why don't you put them together in the same place? So that's why my book came about. Um, Yes, because you've got your book here, which is Startup to Scale Up um, by Kevin R. Smith. And I'm going to cut across you slightly and ask you two questions about this, which is number one, why should someone buy your book? And number two, without giving away any spoilers, what can they expect? Well, as I've said, I mean, the the, the book, as the title might suggest, takes you on that journey from, from startup to scale up. So it is uh, written for people that may know some of the detail. They may know quite a lot of the detail, but it, it's always useful to to get more information. I hope it's written in an easy to understand way, um, but it, it starts out at the beginning about entrepreneurs and founders and your business idea and, and sort of walks you through all those different steps about writing a business plan and and building your market. So some of the things we've already touched upon today, there's a big part of the book that talks about fundraising and what's the difference in, in angels and crowdfunding and venture capital firms. And it looks at, there's a couple of appendices looking at more technical details like R&D tax credits and SEIS and EIS tax relief. Uh, again, we've talked about cash flow management today. So it's it's one of those books, and in fact, the the forward uh, says something about it. It's a book that you can read from beginning to end, or you can dip in and out as your journey is at that stage that is that is relevant, and, and you feel you need a, a bit of help. So it's written very much for people that are both thinking of starting a business and those that are already running uh, an early stage business. And as I say, I, I hope it's written in an easy to understand way. Each, each chapter's not particularly long. It's it's meant not to be academic or or too, uh, I, I guess, too detailed, but nevertheless being uh, quite practical. Excellent. I think, in my opinion, what I find interesting about a lot of books on business, they either either about this, there's there's some hero worship towards startups. You know, startups are supposed to be sexy or whatever the case may be. And when you've got a big business, everybody gives you the plaudits and the praise, etc. But when you're on that difficult mid journey, that scale up journey, that's the bit that nobody really talks about. And but every larger business or any business that's growing has to go through. I think it's just because people see as if it's like, oh, you're a, there isn't never a particular thing that says are you a scale-up there is never there's, there's never mm-hmm. a box to tick are you a scale-up are you trying to scale your business it's always <laughs> yeah, are you a yeah. startup yeah you're so cool we've got a startup going man you know it's it, it, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 
that's what it feels like to me. It feels like, as if to say that once you want to scale up your business, which I think the majority of people deep down want to do, as soon as you say that, there isn't a space for you to go. There isn't a scale-up club. Yeah, no, but, but, but interestingly, I often get asked the question, how big should I make my business? And, and that's an answer for you. Some people just want a business that is a, a lifestyle business that effectively earns them enough money instead of them going out, getting a, a nine to five paid job by somebody else. And other people really do want world domination <laughs> in five years. And, and you know, you, you have to approach your business quite differently in that. And, and the, um, well, the, the way that you approach it and um, who you get around you and all of those details are, are different depending on where you want to be going. Um, so, yeah. We've had a couple of guests on who've basically talked about the psychology of business and how how you big you choose to make your business can also sort of have had a great influence on how your perception of money as a child is. So it's it, those two things are quite interesting gateposts you want for want of a better expression, mm -hmm. and to, as to see how people asking how how big should I make my business? I think to me that I find that to be a strange question. Not because I think you should want to take over the world, but I think if you start a business, you must have an idea of where you want it to go. But there have been founders who've turned around and said, "Oh God, this just got out, too out of control for me. I couldn't handle it. We got too big too quickly." Yes, absolutely. But also constantly having conversations and I say, so where are you now and what are you wanting to achieve? And many of them do come back with the answer, I want to grow it and then yeah. exit in five years or some, something along those sort of yeah. lines. I think, you know, when I remember being at a networking event and a lady saying to me, what's your exit strategy? And I'd never heard that expression before. You didn't exit a business as far as I was mm -hmm. concerned. That was your business and mm -hmm. you took it with you. And, you know, when she said exit strategy, I thought, I mean, mm -hmm. I thought I was felt like pointing across the room and said, the exit that way, love. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't understand that concept. But now, obviously, being in business for quite a few years now, I understand the concept of people would want to do that and just, you know, grow a business, make it big, make it sizable. And because they're large is large amounts of money to be made by by quitting and um, you know taking your toys with you then i can see why yeah mm -hmm. excellent so let's move on to your favorite music because you've done more than one here you you've got pink floyd wish you were here as your favorite album is that still the choice for your yeah i i guess that uh probably reflects my age uh but also as as a as a teenager as a late teenager i used to find it and and still do it's one of those albums that's really i find very relaxing mm -hmm. um and so when i was going through stressful times as teenagers do um just sort of listening to that closing my eyes and sort of being carried along with it i, I guess was was the reason it was in my well, it was in my formative years and because it played that role in sort of uh, keeping me sane, I guess, um, it, it's it's still to some extent my, my go-to, um, maybe in those situations, but uh, but in any event, it's just, I, I think, stuck there. But it, it, I always find that sort of question very difficult in terms of, I like so many different types of music 
depending on what mood I'm in and and what the situation is. But but that was the one that I that I answered your question. Oh no, it's excellent. I mean, as I said, that's the one you used the word sane and sanity there. Um, uh, and obviously, this is the album that was inspired by Sid Barrett, who obviously was a member of the Pink Floyd, but um, that's obviously left due to his own mental health um, concerns. So very interesting. So, so for me, that album is the, well, that period of Pink Floyd is the, the yeah. Pink Floyd at their best. Um, but, but again, as I say, that that's my, my age and, and where they were and where I was at the time, I guess. No, of course. At, the, at that point, they were a massive, massive band and, you know, and still have a massive following to this day because you've got them down as uh, your single, which is Time. Is that the um, uh, the track from Dark Side of the Moon? It is. And again, yeah. um, I like so many different tracks that I, that I could have put down there, but I it was one of those tracks that I'd listened to hundreds, if not thousands of times until I actually paid proper attention to what the words were saying and there's some lyrics in there that talk about when you're young you think you've got uh well the whole of time and you, you don't need to rush and um yes all of that aspect and lots of people fritter away their their time and sort of waste their life by not really doing anything and then as you get older you start to realise, whoa, hold on, we're, we're beginning to run out of time and we really do need to be making something happen here. Um, and, and I think that's really quite poignant in so many ways. Um, life, you won't, well, let's say you only get one life and it is about enjoying it, but it's also about, for me, it's about making myself feel as though I've achieved something. Um, and and therefore it is a case of what drives individuals is is always uh well individual um but it it for, for me as i say it, it was the lyrics and, and how poignant they were as to how how your outlook on life changes um <clears throat> as as you get older and, and and that clock keeps ticking and it's the same thing for entrepreneurs if i can put it in a parallel situation because what happens is is that you realize in order to scale your business there's only one of you and there's only 24 hours in the day exactly exactly and if you want to scale that business you have to get other people with hours in the day as well because and split that load because you just won't work yep yep and, and therein lies its own difficulty because all of a sudden you're managing people, delegating and getting in people. And, and potentially the most difficult is getting in people to do what you know you can do yourself. You just simply don't have the time to do it. Exactly. Um, and it, it's different getting someone in to do something that you can't really do yourself. That's That always seems to be much easier. But getting someone in to do something you know you can do is, is much more difficult. Of course, without a doubt. So you've got a, a couple more here. Very quickly, you've got Elton John, I'm Still Standing. <laughs> that, that, that's, for, that's for the tough times. <laughs> it's, it's a great song. It, that was his big comeback single um, after being away for a little while. And it's, it's a great song, fantastic song. It's very, very powerful, very upbeat. And whatever life throws it, you could, you, you, that is the appropriate um, um, anthem for you. <laughs> I, 
that there had been times when I'd been really fighting with different things one way or another. And then I was in the car or something and that came on the radio and, and it made me think, yeah, you know what? I am still standing. Let's get on with it. Bring it on. Exactly, exactly. So you've got, as far as favourite films, you've got Top Gun and Life of Brian, two classics. Very shallow. <laughs> well, do you know something? On these choices, they're not necessarily meant to be all deep and meaningful. They're supposed to mean something to you. And the fact is, we. Yep. it's never a judgment. It, it just says, well... I'm a human being. I'm not a, a robot that goes into the office or goes to my desk every day. I've got things that I like outside of that. And the fact is, is that they're two great films. You know, Top Gun, we're actually on Top Gun 2 now. I think that's supposed to come out next week. Absolutely. Um, so um, it's been a, a massive wait in between those two. But, you know, obviously it seems shallow, but, you know, Life of Brian, when it first came out, for example, I mean, it, that was... You know, people talk about cancel culture now. <laughs> people were kicking off, <laughs> literally kicking off when that came out. And, you know, I think Mary Whitehouse was still around then. And, you know, it was all very, very heavy, but incredibly funny. Yeah. yeah. You know, excellent. Indeed. <laughs> the Cash Flow Show, coming to you from the city of London. Real people, real business, real talk. We're coming towards the end of the show. And, you know, we've managed to cover quite a few topics. But I wanted to talk about where Boom and Partners is going to be in 12 months' time. What are your plans for for the upcoming, let's call it a year? Well, we pride our, we, we are a small business consultancy. We pride ourselves on working very closely with our clients. We, I've, I've already mentioned, we look for long-term relationships. Yes, we do do occasional pieces of short-term project work because a business has a, a problem that they come to us and, and help want help fixing. But normally, we, we very much look for that long-term relationship with a client and, and helping them to grow. And obviously, what they want from us varies uh, as they, they grow. But nevertheless, we're able to provide that. And we're Boom and Partners because we also have a, we work with a, a, a number of good partner businesses that we can refer them to that provide uh, services uh, or, or uh, other aspects that are required from a, an early stage businesses that, that we, we wouldn't provide ourselves. But so therefore, we are expanding. We are going to be uh, taking on uh, more people, but only... Uh, a, a very small number because I wish to remain involved with every single client. Um, it's my business and I wish to either have the, the primary relationship with client or indeed be involved when a, a colleague of mine has the primary uh, relationship with them. But but I would, would still expect to, to be involved and the, the clients to, to know us as as a team and people but as we also just mentioned you can't do everything yourself um and one of the other things we we pride ourselves on is is always going sort of above and beyond and and providing a very good service and so that means making sure we have the resources to do that 
and when we are, we are on occasion asked to join uh, the advisory board for businesses, I, I keep mentioning how important an advisory board is for a business if it's looking to raise finance, we get asked to, to play that role. And uh, when we're in that position, I always encourage uh, the, the business to contact me any time. And so, you know, we, we do get urgent requests come in on a Saturday afternoon saying any chance <laughs> any, any, any chance we can have it back sort of by mid Monday morning or something and often I'll get it back to them within an hour or so yeah. um, because that's the role we want to be playing so I, as I say lo looking to, to scale not looking to take over the world um, and always looking to, to build that, that long term uh, relationship uh, side of things but also looking at getting uh, involved on the the, the mentoring uh, or continuing to be involved should I say on, on the mentoring I, I love writing articles I love um, speaking at, at events and, and on judging panels and, and so very much hope to be doing more of that uh, and we do get involved in that not just in the UK as it happens uh, but personally I've worked in about 45 countries um, and quite a lot of that has been on developing the SME sector, but uh, very much the focus now for, for Boom is, is working with UK businesses and, um, yeah, building that long-term relationship and being involved potentially on their board, but, but whatever it is they, they think they need help with. And we always have a, a discovery call with them initially to find out what it is they, they need and if we can assist them and if so what is the best way to do that excellent so you've also got your startup to scale up book so are you going to be doing more promotion on that and is there a follow-up in the works uh well it's actually my fifth book um oh, it's, blimey. By the, it's by far the the previous one was on blockchain um so that links in with the the fintech side of things um so there is no follow-up in, in the works. This, this came out only in October last year, uh, and we launched it at the business show at Excel, where we will also have a stand again this year. Um, and this is available actually in 40,000 outlets worldwide, but um, pri primarily for most people, you can buy it on Amazon <laughs> and uh, you, can, you can order it in Waterstones and, and you know, all, all the usual sort of places. Um, or, in, or indeed directly from the, um, the publisher's website. Um, so we, we, uh, it, it, it's just there um, as, a, as a useful tool, I think, for, for businesses that are looking at starting or scaling. And um, it, it's, it seems to fit very neatly with, with what it is that we as a business do. Brilliant. So where can people find you? Where, where, where are you online or websites? How can people get hold of you? So um, either at boomandpartners.co.uk. Uh, so my email address there is kevin at boomandpartners.co.uk. Um, or on LinkedIn. Um, so that is kevin-r-smith hyphen msc and the last bit's only there because there's uh, a few kevin smiths on there <laughs> um, but i'm i'm very active on linkedin i normally post a published article on a tuesday and something else on a thursday so i'm i'm sort of uh, there we also as as a business we also have a uh, 
and an Instagram uh, page and, and a boom uh, uh, LinkedIn page and uh, and indeed we have a, a a newsletter so so anybody that wants to, to connect in in any of those things do please get in touch brilliant well Kevin R Smith thank you very much sir for taking the time to speak with us and share your knowledge and wisdom about boom and partners about businesses about entrepreneurship and all the things that go with it we wish you every success in creating more well-grounded and well-founded startups to scale ups and look forward to speaking with you again in the future an absolute pleasure thank you very much for inviting me you're most welcome. We've come to the end of the cash flow show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom, and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.